to you this morning, and um, I, I, I pray that you'll, I pray that you'll pray for me. I, um, I like to go into any preaching service with, um, well, I like to go into a lot of things with a plan. How many of y'all like to have a plan when you go in to, to do something? I've, I've heard it said that if you plan to fail, then you if you excuse me, if you fail to plan, then you plan to fail. <laughs> and um, you know that's especially important as you go into preaching, I believe. Um, let me make that let me say this this way. I'd, a man cannot preach unless he's blessed by the Spirit of God. Amen. You know, when I started preaching, there's kind of this Sam brother Doug, I don't I, well, I think I know probably what y'all would think about some of these things, but there's this idea that some people have that you, you don't even use notes in your preaching. And um asked my grandfather, who's a preacher, what he thought about it when I started preaching, and he said, um, I think notes are fine as long as you double space and leave some room for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. And I agree with that. I asked Elder Harold Hunt, I said, what do you think about notes? Um, and he said, a short pencil will go a lot longer than a big brain. <laughs> you know, sometimes we forget things. So you ever think about something and say, I can't wait to tell my wife about that, or I can't wait to tell somebody about this. And I'll do that with preaching sometimes. I can't wait. That's a great, I will preach a sermon in my mind, and it is great. It's better than anything y'all have ever heard me preach here. I'm telling you, it's wonderful. And then I'll get to where I'm going or I'll get out of the shower or whatever it may be. And I'll think, what was that thought I had? <laughs> where did that great sermon go? Well, I wanted to talk to you this morning about regeneration. And I, and I sat down this morning to kind of jot some notes down or whatever. And, and it took a whole different course. So I want you to pray for me because I get nervous when that happens. But I want to go to Acts chapter 15. And in Acts chapter 15, the apostles are gathered together to discuss some... It's a very important meeting that they have here in Acts chapter 15. Um, and there were those that were, being, that were teaching that if you, didn't, if you weren't circumcised after the manner of Moses, that you couldn't be saved. And there were those that were teaching that if you didn't keep the whole... You know, they were saying it was needful that you'd be circumcised and keep the law of Moses to be saved. And so the, 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 they have a meeting to, to sort these things out. And it says in verse 6 of Acts chapter 15, it says, The apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knows the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now listen to verse 10. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe, this is the greatest confession of faith 
the most succinct confession of faith I've ever read and the greatest one I've ever seen. The apostle says, we believe that through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. You know, if you can't, if you can't believe those words that the apostle Peter says, that it is through the grace, how will we be saved? Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. Period. He didn't add anything else to that, did he? That's beautiful, isn't it? By the unmerited favor of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. That denotes where, it, where, where this grace proceeds from. It proceeds from God. Amen. That we will be saved by those things. But I want you to go back to verse 10 where he says, Now therefore why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? And... You know, we, we want to be good, strong, self-independent people. I know that. But there's something that we, I think we all need to understand, and we do understand that, I believe, uh, most of us. But there are many things in this life which we were neither meant to bear nor can we bear. You understand that? There are many things in this life that we were not meant to bear. There are many things that we cannot bear. I want to look at three of those this morning in, in the time that I have, and, and the first and the most important one that I think we'll look at today is the eternal salvation of yourself and of God's people. I believe, that we've been talking about Satan as a liar. And if you want, to comp you want to give a compliment to Satan, he's a good liar and he's very good at spreading lies. <laughs> right? Um, and I believe that one of the greatest lies that Satan's ever released on the world is that somehow you are in control or play a part in your salvation and the salvation of other people. That's the greatest lie that's ever been spread in this world. And boy, it is spread. You'd be hard-pressed to find people that when you really understand what they believe about salvation, that don't believe they play some little part in their salvation in our society today. That may be saying a prayer. That may be walking an aisle. That may be just repenting of their sins. But whatever it is, when you get down to the crux of the matter, they believe that they play some part in their salvation. That's the biggest lie. You want to talk about fake news. That is fake news, child of God. Amen. That's not the good news of the gospel. And I'm not here to criticize those people, but I'm here to tell you that Satan, through his deception and perversion of the gospel, has laid a burden upon them that they were neither meant to bear nor are they able to bear. I want to go to Matthew chapter 28 and a beautiful portion of scripture that most Christians know. Many consider this the Great Commission. And, um, you know, as God's given this to his uh, apostles, his disciples, there it is a Great Commission. I have no problem with that. They were commissioned to go out. And I want to read, I just want to read what it says to you. Go ye therefore, these are, the, these are some of the last words of Jesus Christ, very important words. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. I'm, that's beautiful, isn't it? I am with you always. That word means at all times and in all circumstances. I am with you. That's a that's good promise to know, isn't it, child of God? I'm reminded of Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord at all times. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in, in all times and in all circumstances. And one of the reasons we can do that is because he's with us in all times and in all circumstances. The world may be seeming like it's spinning out of control for you, but God's with you in these circumstances. That's beautiful, isn't it? And he says, go into the world and teach all nations. Now, as primitive Baptists, the most simple way that I can explain what we believe is we believe that you play no part in your eternal salvation. And I mean no part. I believe by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ we will be saved. Period. The Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, he has a parenthetical statement, I believe it's five words, he says, by grace ye are saved. And if your doctrine of soteriology, that's how you get saved, doesn't fit into that parenthetical statement, then it's not a biblical doctrine of salvation. By grace, you're saved. And listen, you can turn on, I've been listening, I've been um, listening, I got XM Radio many years ago, a lifetime subscription to XM Radio. It was like $200. I have paid for that many times over. They have the Billy Graham channel. And I'm going to tell you, that's some of the best preaching I've ever heard. And, I mean, my family, we listen to contemporary Christian music, and I listen to Billy Graham, and, and, and it's, I mean, and we've got Grace Alone Radio, which is a great Primitive Baptist radio station. I listen to that a lot, too. Um, and, you know, some Primitive Baptists would be like, why do you listen to contemporary Christian music? Well, what else are you going to listen to? Hank Jr.? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> WZZK? No. <laughs> I said the other day to a good friend of mine, I said, you can't listen to that with your kids in the car. And it hit me as I was talking to him. I probably shouldn't listen to it when my kids aren't in the car. <laughs> and I listen to things I shouldn't. I'm going to say that. Uh, but, but a lot of times when I'm listening to that channel, they'll paint a beautiful picture of salvation by grace. And at the very end, they'll say, now, if you want this to apply to you, here's what you need to do. <laughs> Brother Sam said it's like milking a cow, getting a big, beautiful bucket of milk and then kicking it over right into the dirt. <laughs> and so you tell people what you believe about salvation, that you believe that God doesn't use means. That's controversial. That God doesn't use the gospel or the preacher or the church or your mom or your dad or anybody else to save his people. He does it right there by himself. We believe when Jesus Christ said, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, you can't tell where it comes. Whether it's going, so is everyone that's born of the Spirit of God. We believe that as primitive Baptists. Everyone that's born of the Spirit of God is born in the exact same way by the sovereign grace of God. And you will tell people that, and, and, and many times, child of God, and this has happened to me recently, it's happened to me many times, they'll say, well, what about Matthew 28 and the Great Commission? And my answer to that is, what about it? <laughs> Well, he says to go into all the world and make disciples. And, and you notice it doesn't say this. It says go teach all nations. But if you look and if you have like a center column reference, and they'll give some alternate um, translations of this word, it does say that. It says, 
It says, go ye therefore, what Jesus is saying is, go ye therefore and teach. And then in my Bible it says, or make disciples or Christians of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now I'm here to tell you today that making sheep out of goats is a burden that you were never meant to bear, nor can you bear. Making disciples out of sheep is something that we are possible to bear. And the great commission that was given in Matthew 28 was not to go make unregenerate, hell-bound people children of God. It was to make those that God had already touched to teach them the Bible. That's the job of the church. Do you understand that? The Apostle Paul would say, pray for me that I may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. This is in 2 Thessalonians. He's, he's, this is the closing words of Paul. He says, that I may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Now, I've said this to you before. I believe this. The Apostle Paul was the greatest apostle that, that, that we have. He would have been the worst president of the missionary board that you would ever find because the because the mission of the missionary board is to find unreasonable and wicked men and turn them into reasonable and wicked men but the apostle paul said i want to be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men because it was not a burden that the apostle paul could bear to make unreasonable and wicked men reasonable and wicked men but he could turn the child of god he could take someone whose heart has already been touched like lydia or like cornelius with peter there are many examples in the Bible where God has already touched the heart of an individual and that's where the church is to be directed to and that's why we pray for open doors and that's why we pray that God would direct us to somebody. The preaching of the gospel is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Do you understand that today? The salvation of God's people is alone by the grace of God and it's not a burden that we were meant to bear. The preaching of the gospel is to those who are saved the power of God. We should be praying that we would be delivered to people who already have faith. Amen? Yes. Do you see, but do you see what kind of burden? When your whole system is built upon, we need to, you know, there's a book about uh, the Great Commission that I've mentioned to you here before, and, and there's a chapter in that says we are plan A and there is no plan B. And what they mean by that is if we don't get the gospel out to people, they're going to perish and end up in hell. That's a burden you were never meant to bear. That, the, the salvation of God's people was a burden that was borne by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. He has borne our sins. Do y'all see that? Yes. We're not meant to bear that. And child of God, if you understand the truth, that's why Jesus Christ said the truth will make you free. If you understand that today, if you understand that God alone accomplished salvation for his people, you should rejoice. You should glorify him. Because you are not living with a burden that many of God's people. The Apostle Paul said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. They're going about trying to establish their own righteousness. They haven't submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. What is that? That's Jesus Christ alone. And Paul's prayer for his Roman brethren is that they might be saved to see that Jesus Christ alone was salvation, that Jesus Christ alone was enough, that Jesus Christ alone paid the sin debt. That was the prayer of God for his own people. 
And if you've seen that today, child of God, then you, you are living a life that you're not bearing what you cannot bear. You've been set free. I want to look at the second one. A second thing that we are not meant to bear in this life is, is the condition of this world. Did you know that? How many of you turn on the news? Um, I heard Brother Tim call it recently Fearing In and Fox Fear Network. <laughs> Brother Tim McCool from, from Bethlehem. How many of you turn on the news? And, and I'm sure we all watch the news for the most part. And, and you turn it off and you think, boy, I feel good. That was uplifting. <laughs> we weren't created to deal with death. We weren't created to deal with sin. We weren't created to deal with riots and chaos and murder in the streets. Listen to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. When God is finished on the sixth day, he says this, God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Did God create an okay world? Was it pretty good? Was it just good? The Holy Spirit went out of its way to pen these words that it was very good. Very good. And we all know what happens, right? God gives the law. Man transgresses the law. Listen to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Did y'all catch that now? It was by one man. God's not playing a part in this. I, I believe Adam and Eve were capable of, of living in that garden forever. I, I believe, um, see, I don't even believe, I, I personally don't believe that, that hell was, was meant for, to house people. <laughs> I really don't. And, and we can talk about that later maybe, but God's, it will don't get me wrong, but it was prepared for the, for the devil and his, his demons or his angels. But man threw us into destruction. Listen to this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death, destruction, chaos, death by sin. And so death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So when you're watching that news, or when, when you get that news, maybe when, so when you get that news that a loved one is sick, a loved one's got cancer, we talked about somebody's got cancer, someone who has COVID that's in the emergency room. When you see all these things, and you think, how am I going to deal with it? That is literally a burden that you were never meant to bear. It is a, it is a direct cause of the fall of man and the destruction that has overtaken our world. Do you see that? And many people, many children of God, deal with this in many ways, whether it's drugs or alcohol or abuse of other people. You know, many people uh, self-medicate by just abusing other people. We live in a fallen world, don't we? The child of God, that's not... The, the, the good news, even if, even if we're not to bear these things, we weren't meant to bear these burdens, we weren't meant to see this destruction, we weren't meant to see the chaos... We weren't meant to live in a world that's going to... We were meant to live in a world that was very good. God is a very good God who built a very good world 
for His people. But we're not living in it. The hope is that one day we will be living in a world that's very good. And you weren't meant to bear this, but you can get through it. That's the good thing. We don't, we don't self-medicate as Christians and disciples uh, with, with, with drugs or alcohol or whatever that, those things may be. God Himself can bear it for us. Did you see that? I'll give you There's three things. God, God's Word, and God's people are here to help you get through this world. You can't bear it on your own. In the book of, in the book of Hebrews, uh, it says of God that He's able to succor. That is, He's able to help. He's able to deliver those who are tempted. Isn't that wonderful? That when we're tempted to depression, when we're tempted to despair, when, and, and look, those are natural reactions to everything that's going on around us. When your loved one dies, it's, it would be weird to just be extremely happy about that, right? We can rejoice knowing that they may be in heaven or knowing that there will be a resurrection, and we don't sorrow as others who have no hope, but that doesn't mean we don't sorrow, right? Great men lamented as they carried Stephen to his burial. We, we are to be, we, it's a natural reaction to be sad to the destruction that sin has brought in this life. But we don't go through it alone. We go through it with God. Think about God's Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. How am I going to make it in this world? How are we going to navigate the chaos of this life? I can't bear it on my own. No, you can't. But God's given you a book that will tell you. How, how am I to raise my children? God's given you a book that directs you in that. How am I to live my life? God's given you a book that directs you in that. So that although the weight of this world may be bearing down on you, it shows you that with His help how we can navigate this life. What about God's people? This is an interesting... Uh, this, is, this, is, this is... Look, Brother uh, no, brother. Uh, I almost said Brother Noah. Brother Doug talked about it was good to go into the house of the Lord. Do you know you need... People need people, first of all, right? We weren't meant... God said it is not good that man should be alone. He made a very good world and he made a very good man and he said it is not good that this very good man should be alone. Think about that. We need people. We need to be around people. We need to fellowship with people. We need the help of people. We need the love of people. You're not meant to do this on your own. Do you all agree with that? We need People need people. But listen to Romans chapter, I believe it's Romans chapter 16. Very similar words to what we saw in 2 uh, uh, Thessalonians where Paul was praying about being delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. It's actually Romans chapter 15. And he says in verse 30, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers... To God for me, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. I've already got off that subject, but think about that. The Apostle Paul just said that I may be delivered from those that don't believe. <laughs> and that my service, which I have for Jerusalem, may be accepted to the saints. Then he says in verse 32, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God. And may with you be refreshed. That, that 
That word refreshed means invigorated, revived, or cheered. How many of y'all need Sunday morning to be invigorated, to be revived, or to be cheered? One of my best friends that's here today, and I won't give the name away, I like what he said one time. He said, I am afraid how bad I would be if I didn't have Sunday mornings at church. I need to be invigorated. I need to be revived. I need to be cheered. Because I can't bear the weight of this chaotic world on my own. I need you. The Apostle Paul needed people just like you. Do you see that? That's the importance of the church of God. It's not just here to check it off our list and say we got that done. God gave us the church as a means to invigorate us to go back out into the world and fight the good fight of faith. We need this. This is the most important two, or three, two hours of your day or of your week is to be here in the church of God. If you try to do life without it, you will be crushed by the weight of this world. Amen? Amen. I, don't, I don't have much longer. I'm going to give you a third one real quick that I think is preaching to me. And now you may say, well, with COVID, my calendar is, there's nothing on my calendar. We keep a calendar in our kitchen. And I say we, Carrie keeps a calendar in our kitchen. <laughs> but I use it a lot. <laughs> um, and it's very detailed. And it's very full most of the time except for about a month ago we got it out and we just went through the last four months of the year and there was just nothing on there <laughs> everything's been canceled right i mean we're just canceling everything but it's starting to pick back up a little bit so as brother neil would say as he kept preaching a few weeks ago when he was here he's like with the exception of the coronavirus time <laughs> You weren't meant to bear a chaotic, crazy, busy lifestyle, child of God. You were not. Our society, American society, values busyness. We put a, we put a high priority, and it's like a social standing that if you're very busy, you go to work, you go wherever tomorrow, and I guarantee you, you say, how you doing? And where the answer might used to be, I'm good, or I'm okay, or I'm doing all right, here's what you'll get. You walk through the halls of many corporations or many schools or whatever it may be. Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm busy. <laughs> they may be busy. They might not be busy. They may want you to think they're busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. Now, we were made to be productive. God said be fruitful and multiply. We were, we were made to be productive people. You know, you go to the fruit section. A lot of people think that's just about having children, but if you go to Publix, you, go to the, you want to get some fruit, where do you go? The produce section. It's about productivity. We're to be, we're to be moving forward as, as God's people. We're to be productive people. But just to be extremely busy. You know, Jesus Christ used to go out and pray for hours at a time. And I was very convicted recently when I was reading that, and I thought, if the Spirit moved me to go pray for a few hours, would I have the time to do it? Have you ever thought about that? If somebody called and needed help, would I have the time to do it? 
If the church decided we're going to have a four-day meeting, would I have the time to do it? Think about that. We were, we were meant to be productive, but we weren't meant to be stretched so thin that we're no good to anybody, including ourselves. I, I was reading deathbed confessions, or, or not confessions, but it was regrets of people on their deathbed. And I wrote this down. This is one of the most, most popular regrets that people have. I wish I'd left work at work and only worked 40 hours per week. And I understand it's good to work hard and all that. Don't get me wrong. But we live in a world of workaholics, right? Because we get this idea in our mind that we are so important that the company couldn't live without us. Or we are so important that we're doing this. Let me give you a, a news flash. I don't care what you are to the company. One day you'll retire, one day you'll die, one day you'll be gone, and two weeks later there'll be somebody else sitting in your seat doing your job. Think about that. Amen. But what about a five-year-old little boy? What about your What about your grandkids? What about that church meeting? Those are things you're never going to get back. And a lot of times we're so busy that we miss out on the things that actually matter in this world. Excuse me. Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16 says, As for man, his days are as grass, and as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. James said it this way, Whereas now you know what you shall be tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You ever seen those stickers say, YOLO, you only live once? <laughs> There's some truth to that. Of course, I don't, I mean, you live forever, <laughs> really. Praise God for eternal life, but we only get one life here. Y'all understand that? Some of us, I, was, I took my daughter out on a date Friday, took her to the meeting three. <laughs> and she asked me a question, what makes you old? And I said, ask Brother Sam, he's got more experience with it than I do. <laughs> so that question may be coming to you, brother. But a lot of times we miss out. I'm sorry I've gone over my time, Brother Sam. We miss out on a lot of things in this life because we're just too busy. And we end up, go look at your screen time on your iPhone tonight and see how much time you're wasting away. But we're not meant to bear these things. And, and I'll close with this. In Exodus chapter 18, Moses' father-in-law comes and Moses is showing him around. He's showing him everything he's doing. And... Um, 
in verse 14, it says, And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, This thing that thou doest is not good. Now Moses was busy. Moses probably felt very important. Moses probably thought he was doing great work. And his father-in-law gives him some wisdom. And he says, This thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it yourself alone. I'm going to tell you, if we try to do everything ourselves alone, we should heed to the words of Moses' father-in-law. This thing is not good for you. You will surely wear away. That's why we need each other. That's why we need this church. That's why we need our fellow man. And that's why we need to make time for rest in this life. Today we're getting rest, I believe. We need to, we, it would be a good thing to evaluate our calendars and say, where on that do I have time for God and for rest in this life? God established a pattern of work and rest even in the creation of the world. You understand that? He worked six days and he rested. We need to make time in our calendar to, to rejuvenate, to be invigorated, to be refreshed so that we can go out and bear what this world will put on us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the many blessings of this life. Pray for Brother Sam as he comes before us, that you'll bless him with, uh, with words from on high and that we'll be, uh, we'll be diligent hearers of that. Would you bless us with open doors in this community that we may speak the truth of your word to those whose hearts you have touched. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. the good message that we've had. Let's stand together and sing one verse of Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Me, I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind now I see amen appreciate so much the introduction my brother Doug and the wonderful message that um, brother Josh has been blessed to bring to us and in reference to old age I'd like to read something that I wrote in the front of my Bible many years ago it was a quote from Elder Leon Clevenger, who lived to be 99.9 .9 years of age. And I got to be with Elder Clevenger a lot in his last years. He wrote some of the beautiful hymns in our hymn book. And here's a quote from him. You can't get old as long as you are interested in life. Y'all like that? There's a lot of truth in that. 
We want to stay interested in life, in God and the church and our families. And, um, but old age, the calendar has a lot to do with that. So keep that in mind. Um, our brother has been blessed to bring a lot of wonderful thoughts to our attention, things that we cannot do, we cannot bear. And you know, if we spend all of our time trying to do what we can't do, we won't have any time left to do what we can do. So it's very good to know what we can do <clears throat> and what we can't do. I want to begin my message this morning from Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Jesus Christ has been led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And this is right after his baptism by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. Jesus has lived a quiet, unassuming life for 30 years, unknown, really, except in the little village of Nazareth. And now he has stepped out on the stage of time, and he's going to begin his public life and ministry. And Satan is going to do everything in his power to hinder Jesus in his purpose coming into this world. And Satan knows if I can just get Jesus to commit one sin, he will be disqualified as the Savior. So he's led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And the battle begins in verse um, 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... He was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him and said, If thou be the Son of God. Now I want to just say right here, any message that causes you to doubt your salvation or your sonship in God's family is not of God. It's of the devil. Satan loves to cause you to doubt that you're a child of God. So Satan says, if, 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 if thou be the Son of God, and God the Father had just said at the baptism, this is my beloved Son. And he used that term, that word beloved. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I hope every time you come to church, you hear a message that assures you of your salvation, that you are in God's family. But Satan doesn't want you to believe that. So Satan says, if thou be the son of God, command these stones be made bread. Now Jesus has been doing without bread for 40 days. We know he's hungry in his body. So Satan says, if thou be the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. But Jesus answered and said, it is written. He's using the weapon that you and I ought to be using every day in our spiritual warfare. Jesus is using the Bible, the scriptures, the word of God. Jesus says, it is written. Where? 
In the New York Times? No. In the Bible. It is written. And by the way, this was written in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and uses a wonderful scripture to combat the enemy in this temptation. Jesus says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, let's look at that verse a moment. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread at all. No, it takes bread to live. How many of y'all ate a little something this morning? How many of y'all are going to eat again today? Bread is essential to our natural lives. Our God understands that. So Jesus didn't say man shall not, buy, shall not live by bread at all. But he says man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Brother Josh has been preaching some very good sermons to us lately on spiritual warfare. And let me tell you, the Word of God is invaluable in our spiritual warfare. We need to know what God says about things. Instead of getting on the telephone. I've said it a lot of times, we go to the phone when we should be going to the throne. <laughs> the throne of grace. So man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And I believe the Bible, every word in the Bible proceeded out of the mouth of God. How many of y'all read the Bible with the idea, well, I've got to critique it and find the errors that are in there? Or do you read the Word of God with full assurance that every word in there is from God and it's without error? Every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So now we know what we do with bread and with natural food. Our bodies uh, consume it and it's a blessing and we thank God for our, for our daily bread. But, beloved, there's more to us than our natural bodies. There's another part of us that lives on the every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What part of that is consuming God's word? It's our spiritual nature. And I, I look out at y'all this morning and all I can see is your bodies. And y'all look well and well-dressed and... That's good. I can't see your inner being, but I know it's there. And it needs to be fed. It needs to be cared for. You know, I, I heard a while back a man was talking on a TED talk about he was in a home and this little kid cut his finger and he knew where the first aid kit was and that little kid went and he got some ointment and put it on that cut, and then he put a Band-Aid on it. Somebody had taught that child how to take care of his body. And that's good. You teach your kids to brush their teeth, 
You teach your children to take a bath. You, ta you teach your children to eat healthy. At least we should. Not only by word, but by example. We teach them to take care of these bodies. But you know, your children are more than just their bodies. Your children have emotions. And they need to be taught how to take care of their emotions, their feelings. And when their feelings get hurt, as parents, you and I need to teach our children how to take care of their hurt feelings. Don't pout. Don't hold grudges. Learn to acknowledge your hurt feelings. Learn to forgive. How many of us as parents teach our children that? See, their, their emotions need to be cared for. And furthermore... Uh, you know, you want your children to be healthy mentally. You want them to be healthy physically. You want them to be healthy emotionally. But there is a spiritual part of those that have been born again that need to be taken care of. And that's all of us, not just our children. And I appreciated what Brother Josh was saying about the importance of coming to church. Uh, we come to church... To feed the spiritual nature. And I love it when we get over here on a Sunday morning and everybody seems to be happy to be here. Brother Doug said we ought to be happy to be in God's house. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Uh, it's just good to get here. And everybody at peace with one another. How many of y'all love that? When you get in here and obviously everybody is glad to see everybody else. That's an environment where you can eat. I grew up in a large family, and there were a lot of people at our table at mealtime. And uh, occasionally, one of the boys would be upset with another boy and say something, and it just disturbed the whole meal. You want to eat where there's peace, don't you? And I remember one time I did something I shouldn't have done, and my daddy, before... The blessing reached over and turned my plate upside down. You know what that meant? I don't get to eat. <laughs> now that gets a little boy's attention. Because let me tell you, a little boy's stomach and mine are never far apart. <laughs> so my dad wanted us to all just be at peace at the table. He didn't want any fussing. He didn't want any griping. That's the way we want it in the house of God, isn't it? All of us here to, to enjoy the fellowship of one another, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and to feed the inner man. And so we want to, we want to take care of the inner man. Notice what Paul would say over in, <clears throat> in um, 2 Corinthians. Let's notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish. That's the, that's the body. It's getting old. And, and unless we're living, when Christ comes back, the body will die. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That inner man is the part you can't see with your eyes, but it's very real. And what renews it day by day? The Word of God, prayer, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, 
being in church, being with our church family, that all helps to renew the inner man day by day. And how important that is for all of us. Now, <clears throat> the spiritual man, what does it feed on? Well, the best uh, food in Alabama is not going to satisfy your spiritual nature. I, I miss having dinner downstairs. How many of y'all miss having dinner downstairs? <laughs> I do. I miss that. But thank God we can still meet in here around the table of the Lord and our souls can be fed. Now, uh, <clears throat> I want to, you know, there's a lot in this subject and I, I'd like to get into a lot of it, but I, I want to just now, the Lord willing, uh, talk to you about something that feeds me spiritually. And that's Romans chapter 8. How many of y'all love the 8th chapter of the book of Romans? It's one of the most uh, delicious meals in all the Bible. <laughs> it's just full of delightful food for the child of God. Romans chapter 8. It's one of the highest peaks in, in divine revelation. Uh, some have called it the first national bank of the Primitive Baptist Church. We love Romans chapter 8. But in Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul deals with the reality of a broken world. And I just want to briefly mention to you how many references he makes to our suffering in this life. Notice in verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul is acknowledging that there is suffering going on in this present time. And he suffered a lot in his life bodily. He was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned. He went through famines. Paul knew what it was to suffer in the body. But he says all of this suffering is not worthy to be compared with what? The glory which shall be revealed in us. And then notice in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. When God said it's good and very good, there were no tornadoes, there were no hurricanes, there were no forest fires, uh, there were no volcanoes. There were no droughts, no floods. But today we read about that all the time going on on planet Earth. And the whole creation itself is groaning and travailing in pain together until now. And it's all because of Adam's transgression and the curse that fell on the... Did y'all enjoy yesterday? I don't, I've never seen a more beautiful day in my life than yesterday right here in Birmingham, Alabama. Nelda and I went to a couple of garage sales, and uh, it was just pleasant to be out. Beautiful. Uh, we do have beautiful days, but there are other times when the whole creation is groaning and travailing, and we've seen that in our lifetime. Now notice in verse 23, and not only they... But ourselves also, 
which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. Paul is saying that we groan within ourselves. And you don't have to be old to groan. Even children sometimes groan. And then notice verse uh, 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So the 8th chapter of Romans is very realistic. It's acknowledging the fact that we do live in a broken and troubled world. But beloved, in the midst of all of this, Paul begins to bring us a, a level of comfort that is out of this world. Let's look now quickly at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Paul would say, in the midst of describing our groanings and our afflictions, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Some want to believe that the all things there in that text includes everything that happens on this earth. But the Bible doesn't teach that. Paul said in his letter to the Galatians, the spirit warreth against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit and these are contrary the one to the other. If two things are contrary, are they working together? How many of you all know something about your flesh and your spirit being contrary the one to the other? No, beloved, the text, the expression all things here is not talking about everything that happens on this earth. But in the context, and context is, context is essential in Bible study, the context gives us five things that are working together in perfect harmony for our good. What are those five things? They begin in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow. Not what, but whom. Talking about people. And God foreknew a people in Christ before the foundation of this world. And God could see in his foreknowledge that man would fall and become a sinner. But aren't you glad God didn't just dispose of us like yesterday's trash and garbage. But no, he made a plan. He came up with a covenant before the foundation of the world that was going to make it possible for the objects of his love to be with him in a better world where there is no sin and no death and no brokenness. And here is the everlasting covenant given to us and the five things in that covenant that are working together. A covenant is, is agreement between two or more parties. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost entered into this covenant before the foundation of the world. And, and God foreknew a people that he loved them, he foreknew them. He was intimate with them for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Elder Jim Compton, who lived to be 100 years old, worked on clocks at the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. And one day he was working on a clock and a gentleman came by and struck up a conversation and said, uh, I understand you're a preacher. And he asked him who he preached for. And he said, I, I preach for the Primitive Baptist. He said, oh, he said, the group I'm with agree with you all what is to be will be. 
And Brother Jim said, I agree. What is to be will be. If God has predestinated something to come to pass, it's going to come to pass. What is to be will be. But Brother Jim went on to say, not everything that is was meant to be. <laughs> wow, that man walked away scratching his head. He hadn't gotten that far. Listen, there are things that are going to be, beloved, because God purposed them. A sovereign God predestinated them. Can you predestinate something? No. You can plan. We can plan. But only God can predestinate something. And that word predestinate is always connected with the final destiny of the elect family. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son and whom he predestinated them he also what called he didn't send the preacher to call him he called him he's got your number <laughs> he calls he didn't need a cell phone a landline he didn't need uh, smoke signals God has a way of calling every one of his elect from death and sin to life in Jesus Christ. And he does it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the greatest evangelist and missionary the world has ever known. God's Holy Spirit finds every one of the elect. I don't care where they are. They may still be in the mother's womb. They may be in some dark continent in the deep jungles of Africa, but our God knows where his elect are, and he calls them effectually by the Holy Spirit. How many of y'all believe that? Come on now. We're here to worship a sovereign God, aren't we? Not a God that's weak and frail and dependent on man. No, sir, there's five links in this chain of salvation. I called it the golden chain of salvation. Five links in it, and every link is strong. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Whom he predestinated them, the same ones he also called. And the ones he called them, he also what? Justified. <laughs> Y'all, did, did you know that someday you and I are going to stand before God just as though we never sinned? We're going to be whiter than snow. How did God justify us? Through our righteousness? No, our righteousness is as filthy rags. He justified us through the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. He was made sin to be, he was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God takes care of that. And whom he justified, then he also, what? Glorified. There's five links in that chain. There's not a weak link in there. Now, if you put the gospel in there or man's free will in there, you've got a weak link. And let me tell you, a weak link will mess up a chain. <laughs> no chain is any stronger than its weakest link. Well, there's five links in this golden chain of salvation. And, and Paul refers to our glorification in the past tense. Do I look glorified to y'all this morning? Come on now. <laughs> you don't have to answer. And to be perfectly honest with you, none of y'all look glorified today. Y'all look nice. <laughs> y'all are your Sunday best, but let, none of us are glorified now. But God isn't through with me yet. You hadn't seen me at my best. You wait till this body, this very body standing before you today. You wait till this body comes out of the grave on resurrection morning. You're going to see me at my best. You're probably going to walk up and say, Brother Sam, I knew it was in you. 
<laughs> but you don't see it down here, do you? We're sinners. We're broken. But we're going to be glorified. You're going to have a body that's glorified in heaven. Glorified. What shall we then say to these things? What do you say? I say amen. Some people say, I, I can't, that shouldn't even be in the Bible. <laughs> Lady told my daddy one time, he was talking to her about predestination, and she said, it's not in my Bible. And daddy said, what do you mean? She was a family member. She said, I cut it out. Now, I know you all can't believe anybody would dare to do that, but she was so opposed to the doctrine of predestination, she just cut it out. That's sad. What shall we then say to these things, these five things? What are we going to say? If God be for us. And I'm going to take the position this morning that if God foreknew us and predestinated us and calls us and justifies us and glorifies us, he's for us. He's not against us. And if God be for us, who, who can be against us? The old accuser of the brethren. Satan himself, he likes to count our many sins, name them one by one. But I got good news for you this morning. Your father knows none of them. They've been paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. Now let me tell you, this feeds my inner being. It does. It strengthens me. When you all leave church every Sunday morning, I hope you leave at peace with yourself, with your family, with the church, with God, because the gospel does that. It, it helps us in this life. Now I want to close. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul names some things. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or pearl or sword, seven things he names there, and, and most of us have not really been through much tribulation or distress. Certainly not any persecution that I know of. Famine. How many of y'all have ever been through a famine? How many of y'all have had a, lie, a time when you had nothing to wear? Or pearl or sword. But Paul went through all of that. The Apostle Paul did. And I'm sure there were people, including the devil, saying, Paul, if God really loved you... Do you think he would let you go through all this tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and pearl and sword? Come on, Paul. Surely God doesn't love you. If God loved you, he wouldn't let you go through all this. Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus. And by the way, many of his prayers are recorded in the Bible. And not one of them that I know anything about, he's praying for people's physical health. I'm sure he wanted people to have good health physically, but Paul recognized the inner man needs to be healthy most of all. That you might be strengthened in the inner man, he would say. Now, 
Paul would pray for the church at Ephesus that they may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the height and depth and length and breadth of the love of Christ which passes knowledge. How many of y'all can comprehend God's love today? I can't even comprehend the love my mom and daddy had for me. I can't comprehend the love my wife has for me. Love is beyond knowledge, isn't it? It's just, it passes knowledge. That is even human love. Sometimes I'm amazed at how much y'all love me. But when I think about God's love, it passes knowledge. It's beyond comprehension. And Paul is praying that the church at Ephesus may be able to comprehend this love which passes knowledge. And you know when they were beating him on a whipping post or stoning him, you know what I think was going through his mind like a broken record? Instead of thinking, why me, Lord? Why are you letting this go through why are you letting all this happen to me? i tell you what I think was going through his mind like a broken leg. But Jesus loved me. He died for me on the cross. Paul would write the Galatians and say to them, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Many times Paul wrote on the subject of God's love. Like right here in Romans chapter 8. But in Galatians 5 it is very personal. And Paul says he loved me. And when you read that put your name there. I like to read it this way. Who loves Sam <laughs> and gave himself for me. How many of y'all ever personalized the gospel? You just come to church and it's like a hot cup of coffee on Sunday morning, but you leave and, and it doesn't stick with you. That's not going to do you any good. You need to, in, you need to uh, personalize the gospel. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And every lash, every stone, Paul would say, yes, it hurts. I'm hurting, my body's killing me, but I know he loved me. And I'm not even worthy to suffer for his sake. Come on, folks, that's the attitude that helps us in the troubles of life. So here is Paul, people saying, Paul not only prayed for the Ephesians, I believe God blessed him to have that comprehension. So when he was being... Uh, in tribulation or when he was uh, being distressed or persecuted or, or going without food, I believe Paul knew God still loves me. And all this suffering does not prove to me he doesn't love me. And then he says in verse 38, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves us with a perfect love. And I think when we get to heaven, the thing we're going to experience most of all is his encompassing love. You know, I love to be around people that love me. How many of y'all like that? Come on now. Don't you love to be loved? When you get to heaven, you're going you're gonna to have... 
I don't know how many senses we're going to have in heaven. We have five here. Some of us say we may have 20 in heaven, 25, 30. I don't know how many senses we'll have in heaven. But all of them will be totally aware of his love for us. And if you ever doubt it, look to the cross and see how much he loved you by giving his only son. May you and I grow in our love. Our love is not perfect, but it can grow. Now let's sing, um, He Loves Me. Brother, <laughs> you already found it, had you? Okay. I looked at Brother Joshua and wondered if he had a selection. He does. 134, let's stand together. And if you love the Lord and you love this church and you want a church home, you come together and let us know that as we stand together and sing. Alas, and did my Savior flee and did?